Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Have a Holly Jolly Christmas edition, as the Bengals give their fans the number one gift on their wish list, a stunning win over the hated, despised, but always respected Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, post-game comments, and in-depth analysis from Dave Lapham. And in this week's Fun Facts segment, you'll get to know the person under the pads as I go one-on-one with linebacker Josh Bynes. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since end-of-year lists. I am a total sucker for the various end-of-year lists that come out in the final few weeks of December. Top 10 movies, even though I've rarely seen more than one or two. Top 10 news stories, even though this year most of them are likely to be depressing. Top 10 books, even though I've been reading All the Light We Cannot See a few pages a night before bed for at least a month, and that book came out in 2014. If I see an end-of-year list, I'm reading it, even if I know very little of the content. I should probably make a top 10 list for why I love lists. Now, let's get to the game. It began with a salute to the Radio City Rockettes Christmas Spectacular, as in 1-2-3 kick, 1-2-3 kick. Each team began with two three-and-outs on offense. But Pittsburgh's third possession was even worse. Pittsburgh has it first and 10 from the 19-yard line. The exchange was fumbled. The ball on the ground at the 20. The Bengals have started celebrating, and they recover the Pittsburgh Steelers' fumble. Josh Bynes at the bottom of the pile comes up with a football. That led to an Austin Seibert field goal and a 3-0 Cincinnati lead. Before the first quarter was over, the Steelers coughed it up again. Roethlisberger back to throw. Short pass over the middle. Caught by Juju Smith-Schuster. The ball is popped away by Von Bell. It's scooped up by the Bengals and returned to the 20, but they're saying it's an incomplete pass. After reviewing the play, the receiver completed the process of a catch. As a result, it is a catch and a fumble. As is his custom, Juju Smith-Schuster danced on the Bengals logo in a TikTok video before the game, then got blown up by Von Bell and fumbled on primetime TV. Here's the Bengals' safety. Uh, we have a relentless group, and, uh, man, we stepped up to the plate tonight. Monday Night Football, the biggest stage. We went out there and hit it out the park. And, uh, man, we was out there and doing the things we love at the highest level and uh, really just playing for one another and playing for the name on the back of your jersey, you know, because um, guys come from different stories, and uh, they're just telling their story tonight, and we're going out there and making plays. Ryan Finley, making his first start of the year at quarterback, turned the takeaway into points with two third-down pass completions to T. Higgins that drove the Bengals to the four-yard line. Finley under center, takes the snap, hands it off. Geo trying to run wide to the right. Little shimmy yeah! move, yeah! and he takes it into the end zone hey! before tossing the ball into the air. Touchdown, Cincinnati, as the Bengals go up 9-0 pending the extra point. Giovanni Bernard finished with 25 carries for 83 yards, and that touchdown run and the point after gave the Bengals a 10-0 lead. 
Surely Big Ben would strike back, right? Wrong. Roethlisberger back to throw. Fires a pass that's intercepted. Picked off at the 38-yard line. The Bengals are running it back. High-stepping his way out of bounds. There's Mackenzie Alexander. He got hit after being out of bounds. And now we've got some pushing and shoving in the Bengals' bench area. But Mackenzie Alexander intercepts Big Ben and runs it into Steelers' territory. There was a 15-yard penalty for unnecessary roughness that gave the Bengals the ball at the Pittsburgh 26. Three plays later, they were in the end zone again. Finley catches a shotgun snap. He's back to throw. The protection's good. Nice. Short pass. Caught over the middle. Nice. Giovanni Bernard yeah. breaks a tackle at the five. Yeah. Runs into the end zone and throws the ball way up in the air again. Touchdown, Cincinnati. And the Bengals lead the Steelers by 16 points. The extra point made it 17-0. And all 17 points were the result of takeaways by the Bengals' defense. Here's Ryan Finley. We preached uh, the heck out of that all week was just winning the turnover battle versus these guys. And, um, you know, if you get three takeaways on defense, you know, the the offense owes it to you to win that football game. So, um, you know, just happy we could do enough to to get that defense to win because they sure as heck deserved it. It was 17-0 Bengals at the half. They had 17 points. Roethlisberger had 19 yards. But in the third quarter, he finally looked like the quarterback who's made life miserable for the Bengals for 17 years. First with a screen pass to Chase Claypool for 37 yards, and then... Ben's going to float it deep downfield into the end zone. Touchdown, Deontay Johnson. And just like that, Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers come to life. A screen pass down the sideline for a 36-yard gain, followed immediately by a touchdown pass to Deontay Johnson. The next time the Steelers got the ball, they drove to the Bengals seven before settling for a field goal that cut Cincinnati's lead down to seven points. The Bengals failed to score in the third quarter for the seventh consecutive game, but they started a drive late in the third that reached the end zone early in the fourth. Finley in the gun, second down and two. Runs nice. after faking to nice. Piran. He's to Get the 15, yeah. the 10, middle of the field, into Move. the end zone. Touchdown, Ryan Finley, as he runs the zone read to perfection. The Steelers all converged on Samaje Pirine, and Ryan Finley went untouched into the end zone for the Bengals' score. Finley is not known as a running quarterback, but finished with 47 yards on 10 carries. Well, it helps when you have a 30-yard touchdown and don't get touched. So that that helps with the average. Um, but you know, I, it's always been uh, a, you know a part of my game. Um, you know, kind of using athleticism to get out of some stuff. And um, you know, it's not it's not heavy what I do, but I think it's it's something that I can definitely do on occasion. And this was the game that called for it. The touchdown play. Did you run that during the week, or was that just uh, it was a concept you guys have talked about, or? Uh... We had not repped that play. That was just Zach being, you know, real headsy um, and just kind of tagging it on there. And, you know, why not? Up by two touchdowns in the fourth, it looked like the Bengals were on the verge of wrapping it up when they stopped the Steelers on fourth and four with less than six minutes to go. But Will Jackson was called for pass interference near the goal line. First and goal from the one after the penalty on Will Jackson. 5.34 to go. The Steelers a yard away from making it a seven-point game. They give it to Snell. He's into the end zone. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. The lead was down to seven, and the Bengals were only able to pick up one first down on their next drive, punting the ball back to Pittsburgh 
with 2.17 remaining. From his own 24, Roethlisberger threw incomplete to Smith-Schuster, then incomplete to Johnson, then incomplete to Claypool, making it 4th and 10 with 1.56 to go. The Bengals sending defenders up to the line of scrimmage, showing blitz. Jesse Bates playing deep in the middle of the field. Roethlisberger back to throw from the pocket. His pass no! too high. No! Incomplete. No! Coffin nails. Bam, bam, bam. How about that? Who would have thunk that? Attack on field goal by Seibert with 12 seconds remaining made the final score Cincinnati 27, Pittsburgh 17. Here are Zach Taylor, Ryan Finley, Von Bell, and Giovanni Bernard on a memorable Monday night. It's as resilient of a group as I've ever been around. You know, they never stop believing in each other, never stop believing in what we're asking them to do. Um, it showed up on a huge stage tonight against a divisional uh, rival. And, and again, I, I just can't, can't say enough how proud I am of the, the coaches, the players, the staff, everybody who's hung in there together. Here we are week, week 15, whatever it is, and um, just what a great night for those guys. You know, I, I'm obviously very happy. Um, but just happy for everyone involved, uh, you know, just the, the faces and the, you know, the after the after post game locker room um, It's just, you know, it's fun. It, we haven't had too many post game locker rooms like that, uh, you know, as of recent. And it's just fun. It's always fun to get a win and um, even better beating the Steelers on Monday night. So uh, just happy for everyone involved, really. It shows the world tonight. Uh, we play with anybody. Uh, we play in all phases of the game. Uh, we played um, great team football, hand-in-hand um, uh, -hand football, offense and defense, put them in position to make uh, points, plays, uh, taking the ball away, just really out there just letting loose, having fun. And uh, that's, that's one of my most complete games we played uh, at the highest level. So um, we just got to keep on building on that and keep on getting better. To, to be able to beat a team like that, we know they're a good team. They know they're a good team. But, you know, when you play those divisional games, the records don't matter. It's about who wants them more. And it just showed um, just the type of mentality that we had going to the game. We started off hot, you know, coming. We started off hot, coming back after the second half. You know, we started off slow, but we continued to keep fighting. And, um, man, I'm just so thankful that uh, I've been able to uh, witness, you know, some of the guys make these plays and, uh, you know, just throughout this season. It's just been a tough year, tough road. Um, but man, I'm just I'm just grateful that I've been able to be a part of those tough times just because, you know, when things like this happen, uh, it just feels that much sweeter. Now time for postgame analysis with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap by point spread. This is the Bengals' biggest upset since your playing days. Back in 1980, you were part of a Bengals team that was a 13-point underdog and beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh 17-16. Tonight, the Bengals a 14-point underdog, and they beat Pittsburgh by 10. How did they do it? Turnovers, and that was the secret to beating Pittsburgh any time we beat them. I remember we beat the Steelers another time, handily, like 34-10, and they couldn't even execute a center quarterback exchange problem uh, issue. Uh, Mike Webster and Terry Bradshaw, two Hall of Famers, couldn't get the ball snapped. Wilson Whitley was causing all kinds of havoc in there. When Ben fumbled Pouncey's snap, I'm thinking two pro bowlers, man, karma's kind of looking the same here. I mean, they're having issues with the simplest things, and uh, turnovers were huge in this football game. You go plus three, you're going to win 95, 97% of the time. There's no doubt about it. In the first quarter, Ben Roethlisberger was 4 for 10 for minus 5 yards. How? Good question. I mean, he wasn't even sacked. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. that they, they were just, just 
suffocating. I mean, the Bengals, the Bengals basically beat Pittsburgh at their own game. They ran the football when Pittsburgh in the heyday would run the ball right down your throat and then play suffocating defense. And whenever you made a mistake, they pounce on it and they make you pay and they make you pay dearly. And then, you know, you you get all you know out of sorts and you make another mistake and then they make you pay even worse. And that's that's what the Bengals did to them tonight. They ran the ball down their throat. They played suffocating defense at times. And uh, every mistake that Pittsburgh made, uh, the Bengals really capitalized and made them pay dearly for it. Offensively, 41 rushing attempts and 13 pass attempts. It's nice to say you're going to do something like that going into a game against uh, the Steelers, but to actually pull it off effectively, I did not see that coming. I, it's funny. I was, I figured, okay, this is going to have to be a dirty, grimy, bloody game, you know, for the for the Bengals to have to be able to compete. What I, what I thought was, as I was thinking about the game this afternoon, had all day to think about it. I'm like, all right, well, if the Bengals can somehow incorporate a quarterback run package, maybe include Hogan in it because Hogan had rushed for over 100 yards against the Bengals and he's averaging almost 10 yards a carry, you know, in his career. So, you know, he can run the football a little bit and he rushed for a touchdown against the Bengals. And I thought, well, you know, maybe they'll do some kind of quarterback run package kind of thing and, and, and shrink the game. You know, eat up the clock, get into the fourth quarter with an opportunity to to steal a football game was what I was thinking. And you know, I said to my wife Lynn as we're as I was getting ready for the game, I said, you know, boy, if they can run it, and and the running backs, you know, rush for over a hundred, and the quarterback rushes for fifty or more, they got a shot if they can, you know, compress the game, uh, eat up the clock. You know, don't don't throw the ball very much against this defensive front. I mean, they're number one in the league in sacks, sack differential, all that stuff. You don't you don't want to get in second and third and longs against these guys and have to throw the football. And so I was, you know, just thinking along those lines and be a son of a gun if Ryan Finley doesn't turn into Lamar Finley. It was crazy. <laughs> He's out there doing zone reads and the quarterback draw, unbelievable design to run the you know jet the jet motion and. The, the linebacker has to clear out of there with him and just a design quarterback draw. And uh, Ryan Finley was saying that uh, on his touchdown run, it wasn't even anything they ran at practice. It was a, a run play, and Zach just put a tag on it. Said, you know, put a read on it at the end. So all he did was look at Highsmith. As soon as he saw Highsmith closing down the line of scrimmage, pulled it out of there, walked into the end zone untouched. Would have scored in one fingernail touch football. Nobody laid anything on him. I mean, it was just incredible. Got to give Zach a lot of credit for the game plan, calling the game, improvising during the game, adjusting during the game. He's been bombarded about that. Where are the adjustments? What are they doing? When you hear things like that, um, that they made an adjustment like that as he was calling the play, just put a little tag on the thing. That's pretty strong. There are a lot of defensive heroes in the game for the Bengals. Let's start with Carl Lawson. He had a sack. He had six quarterback hits. You've pointed out in the past that Villanueva, at his height, has a particular problem with Carl Lawson. He does. You know, 6'8", and uh, Villanueva is a waist bender. He's not a knee bender. So when you're 6'8", and you're, you know, uh, the little teapot, short and stout, you know, and just bending over at the waist instead of at the knees when the little kids play, I mean, he's, he's got issues with that. Because then his shoulder pads are leaning forward. Carl can, you know, use his hands and pull some moves on him, rip, swim, all those kind of things. And Carl Lawson gives him fits. He does. And, uh, you know, Villanueva ends up 
kind of turning his shoulder pads toward the line of scrimmage, parallel to the line of scrimmage, and then giving us a short edge. And, and Carl Lawson has made him pay for that in the past, and uh, he, he, was, he was a thorn in Ben's side. There's no doubt about it. I thought he gave very consistent pressure. I thought Sam Hubbard, Marcus Hunt, you know, a lot of guys showed up in this football game for the for the Bengals' defensive front. They played as hard as they can play. They definitely emptied the uh, effort bucket for sure. The Bengals also had 10 pass deflections. I don't remember them ever getting to double digits in that stat, and it came from every every level. You mentioned Margus Hunt. He knocked one down at the line of scrimmage. Jordan Evans had one, I think, at the linebacker position. Darius Phillips had three. Mackenzie Alexander had two. They were deflecting a ton of Ben Roethlisberger's throws. Yeah, they did. William Jackson, you know, got his hands on, and he should have had an interception. One, he'll get a pass broken up, but I mean, should have been an interception. And then you know, a couple of plays later, he has the fourth down problem, the interference. But Sam Hubbard got his hand on one as well, you know, as well as Margus. So um, they were they were getting their hands on footballs, and uh, you know, they, I, I think they were, they were the coverage was outstanding. And for on and off during the course of the game, they were really in Ben's head. I mean, more so than I've seen in a long time. It was, he was definitely bothered by what they were doing. I'm, I'm not sure that he was confused. But I think it was like, wow, I mean, they're just like flypaper. I mean, they're suffocating us, man. They're smothering us down the football field. I have nowhere to go with the football. And that's, that's, not, uh, that's not typical Steeler action there. I have no idea what Mike Brown has been thinking about Zach Taylor's long-term future. But do you think if there was any inkling of making a change that his mind might have been changed tonight? I mean, you, you look at a you look at a, a, a scenario like tonight um, against an organization that is, you know, the the gold standard of professional football. You've lost eleven in a row to them. It's on national television. It could have been a total embarrassment. I mean, last last week's Monday Night Football game was an instant classic. This one had the makings of being a forgettable immediately kind of football game. And for them to play like they did, I think it does mean something to Mike Brown on national television and, um, you know, in the restroom at halftime. Steve Levy was like, I can't believe this. You know, that's why you don't bet on these games. All my stuff I have for, I can't use. You know, all he had was Pittsburgh stuff in the second half, huh, Steve? And, you know, and it's all understandable. But, I mean, everybody was stunned. I mean, all the media guys, national, local, whatever, Everybody was stunned, and me too. There's no way that I thought the Cincinnati Bengals were going to hang 27 points on the Pittsburgh Steelers in this football game. I thought if they won, it would be like 14-10, 17-14, you know, but it was uh, it was a very, very good football game. That They got short fields on those, some of those turnovers, took advantage and got points out of it. Uh, again, kind of reverse the uh, flip the script on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh makes you pay for every turnover. They just make you pay dearly. Bengals did it to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And, you know, there was a lull there in the third quarter, Dan. Three, three and outs. They go third and eight, three straight possession. I'm like, oh, boy. Now is there going to be, you know, enough time uh, for for Pittsburgh to make the complete comeback? And then the Bengals, you know, snap out of it and and make plays and win the football game going away. Pretty Pretty impressive. Well, they didn't want to score in the third quarter now. You know, the Bengals don't like to do that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're right about that. It's it's just incredible what, what, what happens in the third quarter. It is. It's, it's just it's beyond mind-boggling. 
tell you, though, when Pittsburgh came out with the formation they came out with and spread the field as far as they could with two wide receivers lined up behind each other in like double-I formations almost in front of each football team's bench, uh, boy, that's a big adjustment. And it worked. I mean, they, they, they big play by Claypool, and then Ben throws a touchdown pass in the very next snap, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, I wonder what else they have up their sleeve. But that was something that you just you run it once, and it wasn't really a gadget play, but it was a different look formation. You can make quick adjustments to it, but... I thought for the most part, you know, you hear all the time, oh, the Bengals, man, you know, they've had halftime leads, but then the other team adjusts and the Bengals never adjust. Well, I thought in this instance they adjusted to adjustments and, and the whole thing uh, whole thing panned out. Let's talk about the other side, from 11-0 and 0 to 11-3. and 3. Yeah. And if you go back to win number 11, that was the Baltimore game where I think it was 12 guys for Baltimore were out with COVID, including seven pro bowlers. The Steelers struggled to win that game. They haven't scored 20 points now in any of their last four games. Are the Steelers limping to the finish line? I mean, their, their offense looks so different, and everybody's realizing that they are going to the short intermediate east and west stuff. And they're aligning their coverages and, and, and crowding, you know, they're, they're making Pittsburgh play in a closet. And uh, it's, it's interesting to watch. And I thought right away when Pittsburgh came out and Ben rolled out and went deep, they were trying to make a statement, okay, this, we're not doing that tonight. You know, you're going to have to make some adjustments here. But Ben was not even close, and the coverage was good, so that wasn't a panic-type scenario. And they did try, try you know, not even a handful of deep balls through the rest of the game. And uh, Lou Anarumu was persistent in staying with what he thought was going to be the right uh, the right kind of configuration the schematic for the night and it paid big big dividends yeah I think they're they're they are limping and uh, uh, yeah it's it, they, they just offensively it looks like they're really really struggling to get it figured out it really does so there's a guy known as Bengal boy who always does the great banner on the opposite side of the stadium from our broadcast booth. The banner tonight says, Panay, for your thoughts. A reference to Panay Sewell, the great offensive line prospect out of Oregon. The great thing about this victory is that it doesn't drop the Bengals in the draft order. They're still third. The Jets falling from 1-2 to two after they shocked the Rams on Sunday. An 0-13 team beating a 9-4 team. So Jacksonville has the first pick. The Jets have the second pick. The Bengals have the third. But now there's a chance if the Bengals win again that they would fall out of the third spot. Carolina, Atlanta, Houston, and Philadelphia have four wins. The Bengals now 3-10-1. and one. Yeah, that's what people are already – I've already gotten a bunch of texts. <laughs> they could go to number seven. They could drop to number seven. What are they thinking, you know? And, it, it, and it's like, well, you know, whatever. You know, maybe they can uh, still get a, a good offensive lineman or a defensive lineman or whatever the case may be with that, with that seventh pick in the draft. But when you look at it, Dan, it's like – they beat Tennessee, and they beat Pittsburgh here at Paul Brown Stadium. Two playoff teams. Two teams that have given other people, you know, a difficult time. Now, Pittsburgh's in a little bit of a lull. There's no question. They're not, you know, they, they, I don't think they really were a dominant 11-0 football team anyway. And now uh, reality's kind of creeping back in. They could finish 11-5. I mean, they've got, they've got two, two good opponents left. They've got Indianapolis, and they have Cleveland. There's no no gimmies there. Both of those teams are fighting for playoff positioning as well and seeds and all that. So that would be an interesting dynamic to go 11-0 and and then 0-5. That would be a, a tale of two 
two seasons uh, in one there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I to me, uh, if, if if you're if you're out there playing football and you're out there coaching football, it is so foreign to say, ah, we're going to lose this because we want to get an offensive tackle who may be great, who may be not as great, who may get hurt who may get whatever, all you're trying to do is keep your damn job <laughs> in this competitive world out there. You know, when I was a player, I didn't give a damn what fans thought about draft picks, you know? And, uh, I mean, it was like you're just trying to survive, man. I mean, that's 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 all there is to it. And it's e- easy for somebody from the outside looking in say, oh, you know, what are you, what are you doing? You can position yourself for this and that. Hell, bro, it's, this is like dogfight time. It's like survival of the fittest. It's Darwinism at its finest. You're just trying to survive and advance for another week. You're not worried about, you know, draft picks and free agency and all that stuff. That hasn't even come close to entering your mind yet if you're a player or a coach. I'm reminded a little bit of 2008. The Bengals were 1-11-1 with three games to go. They won the last three, built some momentum, then won the division in 2009. I'm not going to say that. I'm not about to say that that's going to happen. But the point I want to make is they were 1-11-1. They won their last three. They dropped in the draft order. They could have had the second pick. They fell to the sixth, wound up taking Andre Smith. The five guys that were taken ahead of them, Matthew Stafford went number one overall. He's had a a good career. You couldn't even name picks two, three, four, and five. I'm sure at the time they all seemed like they were going to be ten-time pro bowlers. None of those guys between Matthew Stafford and Andre Smith did a thing. No, I agree. I mean, the draft is an imperfect science, to say the least. But this guy, Penny Sewell? Sewell looks like he's he's about as scientifically perfect as you can be. I mean, the guy the guy is a freak. It, it's it's almost like a can't miss, um, you know, can't miss target on him. But I've seen offensive linemen that they thought, look at Mandarich. Everybody thought, you know, Bleh. I mean, so you. you you, you win some, you lose some, and, uh, and, and that's the way it goes in, in terms of the draft. But um, it's just it's, fun. it's great to get that, the Pittsburgh Steeler weight off your shoulders, you know, get it off your back. I mean, that, that thing was starting to get, I mean, too heavy. It was almost, uh, almost unbearable. And I, I can't imagine how happy that locker room was. I mean, I, I remember... You know, I remember lock, locker room celebrations. I mean, the, the biggest locker room celebration, it, it'll always be in my mind, obviously, was the, after the Freezer Bowl when we beat the Chargers going to the Super Bowl. And I was like, I, you know, I, it was like a dream. It's like, this can't be happening. Plus, I was frozen stiff. Everybody, everybody was like a popsicle trying to thaw out. But it, so there were, there were a lot of things going on there. Um, but, yeah, that it, there's it, like Tiger – Tiger Johnson said to me one time, he said, you know, do this as long as you can, son, because you're never, ever going to have feelings in any other occupation in the world than you're going to have in this one. The friendships, the enemies, the hate, the love, the physicality. It's, it's, he said on a day-to-day basis, man, he said it's a, it's a heck of a ride, and you've and you got to think about doing it as long as you can. And he was right. Old Tiger was right, man. It's, it's unbelievable. Christmas came four days early. Christmas came four days early. Ben, ho, 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 Ben. (laughs) Up next, the final road game of the year as the Bengals head to Houston to face the Texans. Houston is 4-10 after a seven-point loss to the Colts on Sunday. The Texans have won eight of the last nine meetings with the Bengals 
including a pair of playoff wins. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. Time for some Fun Facts with linebacker Josh Bynes, a native of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Was football always your sport, or were you one of these guys who was a standout in everything you ever did? You know, I'm the standout in everything I did. <laughs> but actually, <laughs> I was actually really good in basketball, and also uh, I ran track in high school as well. So I was, you know, a multi-sport athlete for sure. And I was pretty decent in all of them. Your grandfather was a linebacker. Your dad was a (laughs) linebacker. Did you have an understanding of X's and O's at a really early age as a result? Yeah, I I would definitely say so. My dad was very pivotal in that point in my life, especially as I got older into high school. And and linebacker was definitely my position. He definitely... Uh, took the time and talked to me about simple things, especially talking about just the simplest controlling a defense, being that leader. And um, a lot of those things obviously was natural to me, but just uh, the, the simple things about playing the position and how to see and uh, the vision. And uh, when you're back there and uh, my dad was very pivotal, you know, in that time frame of my life. And obviously I took some of what he taught me and ran with it along the way into the NFL. We're doing fun facts with Josh Bynes. You were a highly touted recruit. Did you enjoy the attention? And do you have a great recruiting story? I don't know if I have a great recruiting story, per se, but it was a lot. You know, I honestly was just playing football because I loved it. And uh, my brother was a really good quarterback. So he was getting recruited a year before. And I seen all the recruit uh, the coaches and everybody coming to the house to bring him to his, the schools, uh, you know, the Louisville, you know, Florida, any, any school you can name. And, and of course, you know, I'm sitting there in my mind, like, you know, hopefully it's like that for me. Yeah. It's my big brother going through. I'm hoping it's like that. And then ended up, it ended up turning out to be like crazy. Uh, like I had coaches every week, my phone would blow up. Um, one thing I do remember vividly is just coming, thinking about this now is uh coach was call all kinds of times of the night. My mom, of course we're sleeping. My mama answered the phone and she, she was just yelling like, don't call my house this late. It's too late. He's asleep. He got school tomorrow and hang up the phone. <laughs> Cause just, it was, it was like, it was a lie. It was a, like literally recruiting was two times crazier from when my brother went to me because uh, my recruiting level was uh, a lot higher. So you chose Auburn. You were recruited by an assistant coach named Eddie Grant, who's now the offensive coordinator at the university of Kentucky. And your head coach, when you signed with Auburn, is about to become a U.S. Senator, Tommy Tuberville. Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> what was your reaction to seeing Coach Tubbs run for and win a Senate seat? I don't know. I just couldn't believe it when I, I seen it on Twitter and online and stuff. And I was like, Tommy Tuberville is going for Senator. What is, what, what is going on? <laughs> like, I just remember him being my coach, uh, what, 13 years ago when I first came to Auburn. Now he's the senator of Alabama. It's crazy. (laughs) We're doing fun facts with Josh Bynes. While you were at Auburn, you met a volleyball player named Brianna Johnson, who became your wife. How did the romance begin? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, the romance. Uh, We was just, that was my best friend, honestly, in college. We hung out every single day uh, from day one. Uh, She was literally one of the first couple people I met on campus. And and, uh, that summer, before the fall, the uh, summer of 2007, and um, and just we be- became close and we stayed close throughout those whole uh, that entire you know time we was in Auburn, and all of a sudden you know we just was like hey you know 
you know, can we make this work? Is this, you know, me and you? And uh, obviously we did in this point and we've been married now six, over six years now. And uh, that's the best decision definitely I ever made. You have three sons. They have athletic DNA. <laughs> yes, I got three boys. One is 10, five and a nine month old right now. And uh, yes, my boys, they're, they're everything to me. And uh, they, right now, my oldest son's playing baseball. Actually, both my boys are, are doing baseball. And, um, and uh, obviously if it wasn't COVID right now, my oldest probably doing football this fall, but hopefully we get through that and he can get back to that. And he played ba basketball as well. So they have definitely have some athletic DNA to live, live after, but I'm just happy to whatever they decide to do, I'm all for it. Josh, you had a great career at Auburn. You earned all SEC honors and yet you weren't drafted. How much did that hurt? It was tough for me. It was hard because, you know, I felt like um, my junior year, I was definitely, um, you know, in a position to be drafted. And I thought about leaving early in my junior year. Uh, I went undrafted and and it just, you know, it just propelled me to mentally just go out there and just do what I have to do to survive and make a team, especially in Baltimore. I was the biggest goal was just trying to make, prove myself that I belong in this league and prove that, you know, I could play this game for a long period of time. We're chatting with Josh Bynes. So you did sign with the Ravens as a college free agent. They let you go at the end of training camp before putting you on the practice squad, but that didn't happen for a couple of months. What did you do in between? I was looking for a job, like, you know, like normal people, you know, trying to figure out my next phase. I was actually, uh, the day I signed with Baltimore, I had got an interview with um, Kaplan University um, as academic advisor. And literally that day, um, I came home, I got a phone call, I still had my suit on and everything, got a phone call from Ozzy, Ozzy Newsome, and um, he told me, he said, you ain't got to work out, you don't do anything, we want to bring you back to Baltimore. And I was just in tears. Uh, I couldn't believe it because I was like, I thought it was over. My life, you know, I was like, man, I made the decision, I'm, I'm going to move forward. I'm still going to work out and stuff to stay in shape, but I was moving forward in my life. And and I'd be, it's crazy enough that one call lead me to 10 years later. So you're about to take a job as an academic advisor, and Ozzy called that day. Yeah, same day. Literally got home. All I had, all I did was loosen my tie. And all of a sudden, Ozzy, we on the phone, I'm on the phone with Ozzy. And I just started boo crying and getting, and all of a sudden went from that to, all right, let me get ready and pack. And But I, honestly, I wasn't all the way, all the way through it because I told the, uh, I, I can't remember her name exactly now, but I told her, the, the person that interviewed me, I told her, I said, well, just hold the job for me just in case because this, this game isn't forever. So I might need it in the off season or maybe in a few weeks. And I'll never forget, she told me, she told me, God has another plan for you. You won't have to worry about this. And you go ahead and keep doing your thing. You're going to be in the NFL for a long time. I mean, I literally talked to her, that interview, and for her to say that, you know, um, 10 years ago, and it's still, it's like you said, I'm still playing. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just crazy. And that's it's just, God's will, it's just God's will over me. We're doing fun facts with Josh Bynes. Your second NFL season ended with a Super Bowl ring. But it started with a very serious injury. What happened? Uh, yeah, so uh, in practice, uh, in training camp, we're in our first or second padded practice. And a guy hit me in the back in goal line, live goal line, right in the middle of my back. And I get up and I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, no, I'm okay. Just got hit in the back. And um, all of a sudden, that the right side, I believe it was, wasn't my leg wasn't really moving. So I ended up going to training room. And once I went to the training room and put some ice on my back, it was over with. And I couldn't really walk. It was so much pain. I didn't know what was wrong. And, and um, 
my fiance, well, now wife, of course, at the time I'm calling her, she's, you know, trying to figure out what's going on, what I need to do. And I told her, I said, it might not be that big of a deal. And then obviously I do the x-rays and do everything else. And they finally tell me, oh, I, I had fractured my lower uh, transverse processors. <laughs> and I was like, what? It was like, yeah, your lower back. And I was like, I broke my back? I was like, yeah. So it was crazy because I was like, am I still going to play? I saw all my mind was like, am I still be able to play football? Is this over for me? So that was my biggest obstacle during that whole time, mentally trying to figure out if I'm still going to play this game. So a broken back is not an injured shoulder. You're not up and about doing your thing. I mean, you're laid out. How bad was that? Oh, it was bad. It was bad. And like I said, luckily I have have my my then at time fiance, my now wife. Uh, she was there all the way through. She um, and I couldn't even get out the bath, get out the bed to go to the bathroom. So I had a, a big old jug next to my bed just so I could turn sideways to use the bathroom. I know it's nice. too much information, but that's all I had. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. It was painful. And, you know, I was I was trying and trying. She would get my ice and try to take care of me. And and she, you know, when you have somebody that does that all for you in those, in those moments when you're down and trying to figure things out and what's going on, um, you know, I'm just blessed to have someone like that in my life still to this day and, and for the rest of my life. And that's why I said that's the greatest decision I ever made is marrying my wife. So you got healthy. The Ravens made it to the Super Bowl. They beat the 49ers. And you made a special teams tackle that ended the game. And just to set the scene for people that don't remember, the Ravens took an intentional safety at the end of the game and had to do the free kick. They kick it to the very dangerous Ted Ginn <laughs> Jr. And he was going. He ran about 30 yards before you got him <laughs> to the ground, right? Yes, yes. And we was nervous because it's Ted Ginn. And Ted Ginn at that time was one of the most dangerous returners. And we was like, all right, we thought somebody would get him early. But no, nah, he started going up the sideline. And obviously, when he got to my grabs, I just slung him down. Ball came out. And we just knew it was game over. And I think it's just crazy to start the year that I had. I couldn't really do anything, you know, with my back. And um, and all of a sudden, the year just started. And I'm still, you know, getting through my injury. Finally, I'm able to practice to for practice actually starting that year to try to, you know, start my first NFL game, making playing a lot more and then go from that to actually making the last tackle to Super Bowl. It's just, it's just a crazy moment. I can't really, that's just a, it's like something, you, you know, you're writing a little storybook or something just, you know, to my kids, hopefully as they get older and they'll think of somebody else when it's really just me. <laughs> All right. A few wild card questions to wrap up fun facts with Josh Bynes. When's the last time you had short hair? Oh, short hair. Uh, the last time I probably had short hair, I had to be in elementary. And the only reason I got short hair is because I was as smart as I was. I got it, had I got in trouble for maybe getting in trouble in school, maybe a little anger problems here and there. <laughs> well, but so I got a couple fights in here and there. My dad was like, okay, so we're gonna keep doing that. So he eventually cut my hair like really low to almost looking bald, and I was embarrassed. And of course, my mom didn't let it happen again. So I've always Pretty much for us outside of that, I think that's why I've been third grade. But since that time, I've always, from a little kid all the way up, always had hair. Fro to the jerry curl phase back in the day to braids. And then braids went to, to where I have now, dreads for the last 13 or so years. All right. Final fun fact for Josh Bynes. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, entertainer, statesman, whatever, oh. who would that person be? That's so hard, but honestly, it has to be Obama at this point. It has to be Obama. Obama is the greatest, and and what he represents, and him and, and Michelle have 
a great connection and what they have inspires even me and my wife. And when you have that bond with someone else, it's unbreakable and you can, they show it and you can tell it's authentic and what he represents as a man and especially lead this nation is during his presidency is just awesome. And definitely it'll be a person I would love to meet. You are off the hot seat. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Thank you very much and best of luck the rest of the year. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.